I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you didn't eat too much turkey. I had Thanksgiving three times, and I may not eat for the next week. But if you go into a turkey coma this morning, make sure you have somebody sitting next to you that will wake you up. But me and Jeremy are going to talk about when peace seems impossible this morning. I know in this world it seems impossible sometimes to have that peace. And we're going to just try hopefully dive in that together and be able to figure out how to figure out the peace. This is Trevor Heinemann. Trevor is our student ministries coordinator here at uh, Mount Perry North Canton. Yeah, let's give my hand. And uh, Trevor is an awesome, awesome guy. And so I've asked him today just to help me to look at this idea of peace, which in present day can be a little challenging to find. You know, we're faced with, confronted with all kinds of things that kind of get at our peace. It, it tries to steal it, rob it. We, we hear stories. We watch the news. We, we find a lot of different things that are not peaceful situations. And so when I was looking to understand really so that we could all be on the same page when we look at peace, I just went to the greatest place in our culture to find what anything means, Wikipedia. And this is what Wikipedia says about peace. It says, peace is a state of harmony characterized by the lack of violent conflict and the freedom from fear of violence. It's a state of harmony characterized by the lack of violent conflict and the freedom from fear of violence. So you've got just in the news in recent days, you've got Hamas and Israel that are firing weapons and rockets at one another. And we see that there are people, there are civilians on both sides that are impacted by this lack of peace because there's violent conflict. And there's also this fear of violence. So there's not really, it's difficult to to say that there's peace there in that situation. And you find countries all over the world who are at war with one another. They may not be in this exact moment firing rockets at one another, but they're at war with one another in some capacity. And the way that they usually find peace, other than just a successful military operation to overtake one or the other, is through something called a peace treaty, right? It's a piece of paper, nothing really more than that. Where two warring countries, two warring peoples will say to each other, hey, listen, we don't get along and there's things that we are never going to agree on, but we're going to both sign this piece of paper to say, I'm not going to shoot at you and you don't shoot at me, right? That's a pretty good deal. And so we say, hey, here's how we're going to find peace. We're going to take a piece of paper and put it between us. And so all that's really there is not the resolution of the conflict that existed. It's not we're doing away with the things we disagree on. It's just saying, hey, I choose not to shoot at you and you choose not to shoot at me. Right. And we're going to honor that that idea of peace. We see it in the business world. We see that that companies maybe are at war in some sense, maybe not in that literal of a sense, but in some sense with other competing companies or organizations. We see even within, you know, a specific organization, how there can be war or strife or a lack of peace within that organization. I was reading just recently about the company Netflix. You know, Netflix is a streaming and less and less a DVD company, but they offer entertainment to you in your homes through a variety of ways. And and recently, a man by the name of Carl Icahn. Who, who, who is a, a brilliant businessman. He, he buys up large, he's a very rich businessman, obviously. He buys up very large stakes in companies in an attempt to do what he thinks is best for the company. Not to take the leadership that currently exists and work with them. He tries to come in and have like a hostile takeover. So he'll buy 10 or 20 or 30% of a company 
so that then he can replace the board of directors or replace the CEO so that then he can kind of administer his will for that company. So for Netflix, he bought just shy of 10% of the stake of this $4.5 billion company. That's a lot of money if you're doing the math there. He bought about 10% of their shares so that then he could come in take the board of directors, replace some of those people with his folks, and maybe oust the the CEO of Netflix, his name is Reed Hastings, so that then they could sell off the company because Carl Icahn believes that Netflix is more valuable to another company than they are running themselves. And so what Netflix did is they came up with this almost peace treaty. Not with Carl Icahn, they just tried to alienate him and isolate him, and so they came up with something called the poison pill. And so what they did is they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. All the shareholders buy into this. We're going to say that if any individual buys 10% of a stock, 10% of our stock, then what we're going to do is then every other person that owns even one stock is going to get more stock at a discounted rate. So that then instead of having, and these are my numbers, instead of having 100 shares and one person owning 10, we now have 10,000 shares and they still only own 10, but everybody else owns more. And it, it, it dilutes how much impact and how much power some individual could have. So Netflix agreed to do this to try to isolate this one individual because he was stirring up strife and, and war within this organization. And so they tried to keep his influence down. So they tried to create this peaceable Solution. They didn't really deal with the conflict. He still owns a lot of their stock. But this is what they decided to do. In your homes, in my homes, sometimes what we have is we have conflict and strife. And if Wikipedia is true, if we're looking for peace, we're striving for this state of harmony by, by looking to get rid of all conflict and get rid of all fear and get rid of any violence that exists there. And sometimes what we do is we don't actually pursue peace. We don't actually try to confront the conflict, but we try to find ways to live peaceably with one another. So we just take a peace treaty, you know, with our spouse or with our kids or with our in-laws or we go to Thanksgiving. Maybe you had this recently as, you know, everybody was around the table and you knew there were certain topics that you did not want to bring up because your crazy brother-in-law would just go off. If you started talking Obama or Romney, man, somebody was going to get hit with like a turkey baster or something crazy. And so you just held up this peace treaty that says, here are the things off limits. Like, I'm not going to talk about these things. I'm not going to shoot at you and you don't shoot at me. Right. And so they don't ever actually deal with the conflict. They attempt to find peace by creating this false state of harmony with one another by trying to remove the fear of conflict or the fear of violence. And so we see it all around us. But really, if we're to understand peace, we, we need to go to God's word. John 16, 33 is a passage where Jesus tells us that Wikipedia doesn't really know what it's talking about. It doesn't say that peace is found when we remove conflict. This is what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, right? In the world you will have tribulation or you will have trouble. But take heart or don't lose heart. I have overcome the world. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you're probably looking for me, much like the Jews of the Old Testament. You're looking for this ruler, redeemer, savior, Messiah, anointed one to come and to remove all of the violence and all of the fear and all of the conflict from your life. And, and me, Jesus, I'm saying that's not how it works. I'm saying that in the world, you're going to have trouble. 
You're going to have conflict. There's going to be fear. There's going to be worry. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be all these things that you possibly could be afraid of. You just turn on the news. I don't think they had news then, but you just listen to the gossip channel, right? That's the same thing as news. You just listen to these things. You're going to find out what's going on. But take heart. In the midst of that, you can still have peace in me because I've overcome the world. And so Trevor's going to talk to us about, okay, if, if we can't remove conflict, how do we find peace in Christ? Yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy introduced it. He, he defined peace. So now that peace has been defined, how do we find the peace? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 together, 25 through 33, and it will be on the verse or on the screen so you can follow along. Starting with 25. This is, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have had enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Starting with that first verse where it says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Jesus gives us an impossible task. We are going to worry. It's in our human nature to worry about life, to worry about problems that we come across, to worry about our future, to worry when you get that phone call from the doctor. It's in our nature to do that. But we have to refocus that worry. We have to take that worry and we have to change it from being worried of the things we can't control. And we have to just put our faith and trust in God. Verse 31 where it says, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Reminds me of the Israelites when they're leaving Egypt. If you remember the story with me, they had been in captivity. They had been in slavery under Egypt and under Pharaoh. And Moses came and led them out of Egypt. And as they crossed the Red Sea, when God split the Red Sea, and they crossed on dry ground to the other side, and then Pharaoh's men were chasing them, God closed in the sea. But then when you remember, now they're on the other side, and you're just standing there, you're going into the desert. If I would have been there, I would have been scared to death going that first night, going to bed that first night. If you really think about it, you're going into the desert. If you've never been to the desert, it's hot and dry just like you would think. So I'd be afraid... I filled up my pitcher yesterday, yes, but I'm going to bed tonight and I don't know where my drink is coming from the next day. I don't know if I'm going to have food when I wake up. That first night had to have been a terrifying feeling for them knowing that I've had water given to me my whole life and I'm waking up and I'm going to a place I know doesn't have water. But then that's where verse 32 comes in and it says, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. God doesn't want us to live this life worried. He doesn't want us to go day to day not knowing what's going to happen. And we just have to give our trust and our faith to him. If we are Christians, we must believe that God will take care of us. And once we believe it, we must live in that peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. The NIV version of that verse says, do not be anxious about anything. That word anxious in the Greek, and I'm probably going to screw the saying up, <laughs> is meranayo, which means do not be troubled with cares. So this verse is saying, do not be troubled with cares about anything. Again, we are not meant to live a life scared. God gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside us to give us the power to live in faith. With the Holy Spirit, we are able to trust God beyond our knowledge of what, we will, what will happen in our lives. When we come into a relationship with God, when we enter into this communion with Him, He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us. With the Holy Spirit, we are able to do things that without God, without Him living in us, we wouldn't be able to do on our own. And one of those things is to live a life of peace. When you live with God, when you live in communion with Him, He gives us the sense of peace to live every day knowing that no matter what happens, He is going to have our back. He is going to be there for us. If you've ever had any kind of relationship, if you're married now, if you're dating someone, if you have a friend, if you have a best friend, when I said that, everybody thought of somebody. You've got that friend or that spouse. But when you entered into a relationship with them at the beginning, you didn't have that sense of peace that you have about that relationship now. You didn't have that sense of trust. It took time. It took time communicating with them. You'd stay up till 1, 2, or 3 in the morning, night after night, talking to that person. But after a while, you started to build up that trust after talking and communicating with them. And when you enter into a relationship with God, that is when the communion starts. That is when we begin to get that peace. Because without God, there is no peace. But when we enter into that relationship, we get that peace. A couple of ways to just quickly grasp the sense of peace of God. And then I'm going to hand it back off to Jeremy. Is the first one that we have to spend more time with him. We will never have the peace of God if we don't spend time with God. Just like with that person when you started to talk with them, you would spend those times talking. You have to do the same with God. If we don't spend time praying to Him, and if we don't spend time listening to Him, we'll never have a peace that He wants us to have. If we don't spend time in our Bibles, we have to open these books. These books were given to us by God so that we have a direction to go. So that it'll tell us what we need to do when things get hard. I was leading the middle school life group a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about the importance of reading our Bibles. And one of the students that was there that night, she raised her hand, had something to say. And she said, you know, I was riding with the car with my grandmother a couple weeks ago. And I said, Grandma, I just wish there was a book that would show me what to do in life. Her grandmother reached over, opened the glove box, pulled out a little pocket-sized Bible handed her to her and said, this is the gift that God gave us to live life by. We have to live that kind of a life. We have to live a life of spending time daily, spending time weekly with God so that we can get that peace that he wants us to have. Second way that we have to get the peace of God is that we have to spend time with other Christians. If you're not in one of our life groups, you need to join a life group. If you're in one of our life groups, then you already know that you have 8 to 10 people that no matter what happens in life, they're going to be there for you. That when you get that phone call from the doctor, that when you get that troubling news that you don't want to hear, that when your boss calls you into the office and says you no longer have a job, that you have 8 to 10 people that are going to be there by your side 
that are going to be there to pray for you, to pray with you, to bring your family food when you can't supply food for them. We have to have those people in our lives. We're not meant to walk through this Christian walk alone. You have to have those people. I ran across this story as I was preparing today, and it goes like this. In the mid-17th century, Oliver Cromwell sent his secretary to the continent on some important state business. One night during his travels, he found he was unable to sleep. According to an old custom, a servant slept in his room, and that evening the servant was sleeping soundly. In the middle of the night, the secretary woke the man to tell the servant that he could not rest because, I am so afraid something will go wrong with this diplomatic mission. Master, said the valent, may I ask you a question or two? Of course. Did God rule the world before we were born? Most assuredly, he did. And will he rule it after we are dead? Certainly he will, he replied. Then, Master, why not let him rule the present too? The servant's reply stirred the secretary's faith. He found a deep sense of peace, and in a few minutes, both he and the servant were sound asleep. Do you have a relationship with God to the point, if you're sitting in bed at night, tossing and turning because you can't sleep, do you know that you can call out to him? Do you have that relationship that when you're sitting there, scared to death to get out of bed the next morning, that you know he is going to be there and he is going to be your peace? Do you have those people in your life, like this servant, that will remind you that God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that he will never leave you nor forsake you? You have to have the relationship with God, and you have to get in your word, and you have to have those people there that will be there to walk with the hardest times of your life with you. You know, these are good truths. You got to know God. You really need people in your life that can walk this road with you, this journey with you. But life is, life is tough. You know, you look at the things that we face on a daily basis in our jobs, in our school, and our finances. And just, again, just watching the news or, or reading the news or finding some way to find out what's going on in the world. I mean, it seems like every day it just gets worse and worse. And the pictures and the stories, they get worse and worse. And so you start looking around for peace. You start trying to find a way to find some peace in your life. You know, as we were preparing this, we were kind of looking through this idea. And, you know, we, we both kind of realized, okay, we're, we're almost making it sound like this really neat formula. And but it's hard. Peace is hard. And, and living in this world where there is trouble and is tribulation, it's, it's difficult. And I was talking to my, my wife, one of the wisest people I know. And she said, you know, sometimes there's the... No, I meant, I meant that. <laughs> that ain't funny. I was serious. But I'm saying, you know, she said, sometimes there's this, there's this thought that, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian and you, you have peace in Jesus, that you should never worry and that you should never be anxious. And yeah, I mean, that's what we're striving for. And we do understand that peace in God is, is what we're longing for. And yes, we can find that. But I mean, uh, Trevor referenced some of these things. You get a phone call from the doctor and, and they want to do some follow-up tests. It was a little murky. They're not really sure. You're going to be upset. You're going to be worried. You're going to be anxious. You find out the boss wants to meet with you 8 o'clock Monday morning to talk about your future with the company. You can be worried all weekend long, right? You're going to be in church on that Sunday to pray to God for the outcome of that meeting, right? We, just, we live in a world and we're human beings where we're going to be anxious and we're going to be worried. So what does that look like? Mark chapter 4, we've thrown a lot of scriptures at you, but Mark chapter 4 is a passage in scripture that 
It's a story that most of us know. The disciples were trying to get away, take Jesus away from the crowds. And they were out in the middle of a boat and it became dark and night. And they're traveling and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the storm kicks up. Winds and waves. and I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's enough to scare professional fishermen. Now, I am not a professional fisherman, but I understand that they're, they're used to being in boats where the waves kick up and where it rains. and where. So these guys were in a storm that was bad enough to really kind of scare them, to make them anxious, to make them worried, to give them fear. And we find that Jesus, you know, this perfect human being, right? He's sleeping on a cushion, the NIV says, somewhere else in the boat. He's asleep. And so eventually they go and get him and he steps to the front of the boat and he looks out at the winds and the waves. And depending on the translation that you're reading of your Bible, he says something to the effect of stop it. Right. He says, peace be still. Winds, waves, rain. Stop. Calm down. Peace be still. How amazing would that be in our lives? If when the winds and the waves and the storm kicked up, if you could tangibly see Jesus step between you and your boss and say, stop it, right? He could walk into your bank and say, stop it, right? No more interest, right? He he could walk into your stressful, anxiety-filled relationships and marriages and in-laws and kids and whatever it is that stresses you out, whatever pressures you have, whatever conflict you have, he could just step in the midst of that and say, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Guess what? He can. Guess what? He does. But the problem that you and I have is that many times we're like those disciples, those poor disciples that get a bad rap throughout Scripture mostly. And instead of focusing on no cliche intended for you folks like me that have kind of grown up in church, like who's in the boat with us, right? We're not focused on that. We're focused on what's going on outside the boat. We're focused on the winds and the waves and the crashing sounds and the rocking of the boat. And we're worried about all these external pressures and influences and conflict instead of focusing on the one who has the power to speak peace into any situation. In 1986, a guy named Jaron Davis wrote a song that I've heard probably a thousand times growing up in church. It's called Peace Speaker. It's a great song. The lyrics are incredible. I wanted to read you a couple of the lyrics of this song. It says, I know the peace speaker. Yes, I know him by name. I know the peace speaker. He controls the winds and the waves. When he says peace be still, they have to obey. I know the peace speaker. Yes, I know him by name. Do you? Do you know the peace speaker? Do you know the one who steps to the front of your conflict And your anxiety and your worry and your problems has the power to speak peace. It's not a a constant state of harmony. It's not a lack of conflict, a lack of violence. It's not a lack of fear. It's the ability that in the midst of the chaos, we know that he is with us. 
Like in the early 2000s, there was a terribly, terribly cliche. I mean, I'm pulling out all the old school stops here. T-shirt, Christian t-shirt. And those are always awesome. Um, That was sarcasm, by the way. But anyway, there was a really cool t-shirt. And this is what it looked like. Doesn't this guy just look like a winner? Um, and, And if you can figure out the different color codings here is, and some of you may have this shirt. I'm not picking on the shirt. I'm picking on the guy. It says this, no Jesus, N-O, equals no peace. But K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. That is the truth. That's the reality right there. You say, yeah, but man, you don't know my storms. You don't know my issues. You don't know my conflict. You don't know the turmoil that's kind of swirling around me. You're right. I don't. I know Jesus, right? I, I, don't, I don't know your circumstances. I don't know all of your issues. I don't know all that's going on in your life. But I know that there's a man who steps to the forefront of conflict, and strife, and fear, and worry, and speaks peace. And I wrote this down. I I tend to write, you know, just a few things down that just come to me as I'm reading. It may not mean anything to you, but here was the thing that kind of jumped out to me. Peace is not about perfection. Peace is about a person. Peace is not about perfect circumstances. Because in this world, according to John 16, there will never be perfect circumstances as we're living on earth right now. In this world, guess what? You're going to have trouble. Aren't you glad you showed up to hear that today, right? In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You can have peace in Him. Peace is not about perfection perfect circumstances. It's not about a state of harmony. Peace is about a person. Peace is about him. And I think in our lives, I referenced it up front, we're looking for peace treaties. We're saying, hey, how can I get something between us where we're not going to fight anymore? You're putting the wrong thing between you. You know what you need to put between you? What we sang about, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus in my marriage, Jesus in my home, Jesus on my job, Jesus with my kids, Jesus in my finances. You want peace? Make it about him. That's where we find peace. Peace is not about perfection. Peace is about a person. And I know the peace speaker. I know him by name. And when he says peace Be still. The winds and the waves have to obey him. Get your focus off the winds and the waves and the strife and the turmoil and the anxiety and all the uncertainties that will come. And focus on him. Because the things that we can anticipate, the things that we plan for, I'm not going to be worried about this. This is coming. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for that. Those are things that we don't really struggle with. We struggle with the unexpected. The storms that pop up out of nowhere, the phone calls, the, the piece of mail, the email, the, 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 the check that comes, we, 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 the bill that comes. We, we, we struggle with the unexpected. But listen, even in the midst of that, he is able. I want us to pray this morning and I want us to pray two things. One, if you're here today and you say, 
I can have no peace in O because I have no Jesus in O in my life. I mean, this sounds awesome. I would love to have this peace that you're talking about, but I don't even have Christ in my life. Not like I know about him, I've heard about him, but I'm talking about like he lives in me. He works through me. He is my savior. He's forgiven my sins. He's my Lord. He directs and guides my life. I don't have that. If that's you today, the first thing that we're going to pray is that you would respond to this incredible person today. That you would say, hey, I want Christ in me. The second thing we're going to pray is for those of us that say, yeah, I'm, you know, I've got Christ in my life, but I find myself with, with overwhelming, overcoming kinds of fear and, and anxiety and worry. And if, if what Trevor said is true and it's like, hey, I'm not supposed to be anxious and, and I'm just supposed to, to, to pray and to think on good things. If that's the case, then I, I need to do that more. I need to focus more on him and not on that stuff. If that's the case, I really want to do that today. I want Christ to help me. Right before we pray, I want to read you the end of the passage that Trevor started in Philippians 4. He read you verses 6 and 7. I want to read you Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise. Focus on him. Get your, get your eyes off the stuff and focus on him. And the promise is that the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed today. God... My prayer in this room is that we all come from a lot of different contexts. We come from a lot of different backgrounds. We come from a lot of different places in life and in in this world. And so today, my prayer is that no matter where we've come from today, that now we're all unified on the idea that peace is available through you. Peace is available through you and your work, through your son on the cross. I mean, this very violent, bloody place of the cross is actually the place that we find unmatched peace. It's the ultimate peacemaker. And so today, God, I pray for the people in this room who do not have Christ in their life. They can't have peace because they don't have you. And so today, if you're sitting here in this room and you would say, man, Jeremy, Trevor, that what you're saying sounds great, but I know that Christ does not live in me. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and God in this moment. Would you just lift your hand? You say, I want Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart. I want to respond to him and my need for a savior and a Lord. I want to have him in my heart and in my life. He's not a genie. It's not a magic formula, but I understand that relationship with him enables me to find peace, true peace. And today, if you would say, hey, Jeremy, listen, I've got Christ in my life, but I'm responding today because I need to get my eyes focused on Jesus. He's the savior of my life. He's the Lord of my life. But I need to focus on him and not as much on the stuff outside the boat. Not as much on the worry and the anxiety and the conflict and the fear and the violence. I need to quit worry. I need to quit watching the news a little bit and worry that the world is dying away. I need to focus on Jesus. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? You can put them right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
God, we pray today for every uplifted hand, which represents a heart crying out to you in some way. God, would this not be a response to just compelling words, God, or some presentation, but this would be your Holy Spirit at work in this room. God, today, we don't strive for perfection, perfect circumstances. We understand in this world there is trouble. God, today, we know that you've overcome the world. There's nothing more powerful than you. And your word assures us that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And so today, God, we just pray. We cry out to you and pray, would you help us to focus our attention on you, the peace speaker, the peace maker, more powerful than the winds and the waves of our lives. And God, as we do that, would we see that even in the midst of chaos and trouble, that peace is available in and through you. God, we thank you so much for the peace that's available. We pray that as we leave this place, that we would be your peacemakers, pointing those in distress to you so that they too can find peace. And God, we thank you so much for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this chorus together.